Hi there, and welcome to this week's edition of the weekly Jersnet podcast. Hi there, and welcome to the latest edition of your weekly Jersnet podcast with myself, Colin Armstrong. It's the international break, so we don't have any decent football to talk about. No Rangers this week. It's all about Scotland and England and all that nonsense. That doesn't mean we don't have a lot to talk about, though. We've, we've taken the opportunity to look at the issue between the BBC and Rangers, which has obviously been ongoing for some time now. So we'll discuss that. And we'll also have, uh, we're having a questions from the forum, from the Jersnet forum. So we'll go out to the forums uh, at Jersnet and ask for some questions there, and we'll get the guests to cover them. Joining me tonight is Alistair McKillop. How are you doing, Alistair? I'm grand, thanks, Colin. How are you? Not bad, not bad. You, how did you fill your Saturday without Rangers? Uh, a wee bit of crying, a wee bit of childcare, all the good stuff, really. I, I, I was actually, I took in a game yesterday. I went to see Camelon Juniors again from Lisgo Rose. Beat them 2 on Alistair. Oh, I didn't know that. I wouldn't have come on if I'd known that, Colin. They're not looking too good this season, I must admit. Aye, so I was down there and had a couple of beers. I've got a nice few sponsors lounge down there, so... That was a, an enjoyable afternoon. Uh, and also joining us tonight and making his Jersnet debut, yet another one making his debut. Uh, we've got a bigger squad than Stevie G here at Jersnet. It's John McCallum. How are you, John? I'm very well, thanks. Um, good, good, good. You looking forward to your debut? Well, I'm a bit nervous, but we'll see. If we can get a heavy tackle in early on, then... <laughs> so how, did, how did you spend your, your, your weekend without Angels? I spent yesterday in a field outside Houston being shot at by 12-year-olds. Um, yeah, well, there you are. I don't think anyone can talk that. <laughs> I think you've won that particular contest, John. <laughs> I wouldn't be in a hurry to repeat it either. Uh, no? no what, 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 could, could you elaborate? or is It it's, is, um, is, it was paintballing, which is a oh, thing aye, that aye. my 12-year-old son has uh, decided he wanted to do for his birthday. So, uh, are they allowed to do it at that age? They shouldn't be, but apparently uh, they are. Obviously, I, 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 if Esther Lanson knew that, I think she'd have something to say. <laughs> I, I nearly phoned child line myself halfway through. <laughs> you can't take the phone off them now without them getting child line involved. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. But anyway, right, let's get on to it. Let's go on to the business in hand. Uh, first topic of the evening is the situation between Rangers and the BBC, you know, uh, I, I, I think I need to emphasise that Rangers haven't banned the BBC. Even a lot of Rangers supporters I speak to sometimes get that mixed up. The BBC have uh, withdrawn from, from Ibrox. They are in the middle of a boycott because Rangers removed the press privileges of the, uh, their senior sports reporter, Chris McLaughlin. Now, I've done a bit of a timeline here. It's quite long and it shows you sort of how, how long it's went on. As far as I can see today, it started in 2011 when the BBC were banned over the coverage of McCoist and uh, in an interview that he'd done reporting on his views on, on violence and sectarianism. Now, th- th- this was the one they'd edited to make it look like he laughed when he was asked a serious question. The BBC later issued an apology on that. They were banned a few months later about their uh, the inside story about Craig White's takeover of the club. It all came back in again. Everyone was, everyone was pals again, so the BBC were back. But the BBC again upset Rangers with a, I don't know if you remember this, the American TV drama Mad Men, they sort of done a thing that made it look like McCoy's was falling from a building when things weren't going well on the park. 
And then in 2014, uh, Rangers removed the, the, the press privileges of Chris McLaughlin and Chick Young. Uh, again, due to, I think it was a sort of leaked information which indicated that Rangers were, were plotting to sack Ali McCoy. So this goes on, you know, quite a bit back. Then they, they, they took the, the, the press privileges off Chris McLaughlin again. He was back in and they took him off him again. And he was told he was not welcome back after being accused by the club of filing misleading and unbalanced reports uh, after a 3-0 victory over Peterhead in August 2015. The latest boycott by the BBC started in 2016 when Rangers again removed the press privileges of Chris McLaughlin, who is a recurring character in, the, in this story. <laughs> Uh, and this was in response to what the club felt was unfavourable reporting by McLaughlin uh, after he unfairly focuses on the arrest of Rangers supporters after the 6-2 win at Easter Road in 2016. Now, at the time, the BBC said, we are disappointed that Rangers took the decision to ban our reporter Chris McLaughlin from Ibrox. We believe this is unjustifiable and we stand by the integrity and the quality of our journalism. This is seriously what they said. Uh, we will continue to support on Rangers both on and off the pitch and we'll feature match action where appropriate. But until this issue is resolved, we will not be sending journalists to Ibrox or attending attending sorry, Rangers press conferences. Rangers said at the time, their statement said, this is about balance and fairness. It is Rangers' view that after having asked for and having been promised exactly that, nothing more and certainly not favour from this or any other quarter, it has not been forthcoming. The BBC know they are welcome, but once again, they and their wisdom have chosen not to attend iBooks, thereby denying licensed payers the opportunity to see and hear from Rangers on a publicly funded platform, which is supposed to be for everyone. Rangers fans are entitled to ask if this is an abuse of the BBC's privileged position. So as you can see, guys, it's, it's kind of rumbled on for a while. Uh, Alistair, I'll come to you first. I mean, as, as all of that's a bit unnecessary. Um, to a certain extent, I think I think you could say that. Um, I think probably the, the initial um, decision to ban Chris McLaughlin, I think the rights and wrongs of that have maybe been lost in the midst of time now and we're, what, kind of two and a half years on. Um, and I think it's probably one of those situations where both sides are just kind of resolutely sticking to their guns and they're not really willing to, to give way, certainly certainly in public. Um, I think I think they were riding kind of concerns for me are, um, it's it's not entirely clear what Rangers are hoping to achieve by doing this and um, how they want to go about achieving that. Um, you know, I, I don't get the sense that there's a kind of there's clear objectives or a clear strategy, and I think that's something that you find often, uh, you know, with our kind of PR and approach to communications more generally. So I think it's you know I think this is all kind of part of of, of bigger issues. Um, but we're in we're in a kind of pretty difficult PR war. Really, that's where we are just now. Um, it's two two businesses, two institutions with their reputations on the line, um, and neither neither kind of willing to give an inch, as I said in, in public. Um, but I don't I don't know I don't see how we we kind of get out of this. Um, if I'm being honest, um, and I don't see what good it's doing either party. I don't think Rangers are benefiting from it. I don't think the BBC are benefiting from it. And to be honest, the biggest the biggest losers are the fans. I think. I mean, I can't disagree. I mean, I do think the supporters are losing out, but I I, I do think there's genuine anger out there at the BBC and you know and some of the content in terms of its social media even stuff like sports scene I think sometimes there's wee slight unnecessary digs that I don't think help the situation. Uh, John coming to you now do you think I mean that obviously 
when I was going through the timeline there, Chris McLaughlin's name popped up several times. I think it's obvious that the club were, were becoming tired of him a wee bit. The last one, uh, the, 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 the Hibs game, the 6-2 game, I do remember his match report sort of focusing on, and I think it was like two arrests or something. It seemed a fairly minor thing, but he, he, he loaded his match report with you know that incident and, and Rangers have sort of lost the place. So, do you think that was the correct decision? Was the club right in removing the press privileges of Chris McLaughlin at that point? I'm generally uncomfortable with trying to dictate what people can report. Uh, I don't think, as, as a kind of rule, that's a good thing. But that particular match, and I think we all remember that match because it was the kind of first glimpse of Warburton's side um, after the McCoist and then Stuart McCall period the year before. Uh, we remained in the first division, and, and memory serves correctly, was was it, it was the cup, was it the Iron Brew Cup or the CIS Cup, or yeah, whatever it was called at the time. Petrofac and, or whatever it was. Uh. Yeah, that's right, Petrofac. Um, and and I think we were just all so excited by the match. Um, all of a sudden, from having seen some fairly turgid football for a few years, here was this team attacking with wingers on both sides, um, scoring screamers uh, in that game, you know, going behind, coming back, um, and 6-2. It, and, you know, I, I suppose the Hibs fans probably didn't enjoy it much, but any neutral watching couldn't help but have been been entertained by that. And, and any Rangers fan watching thought, yes, at last, this is what we've been waiting for. And I think the nature of the reporting of that match so grated with everybody who saw it. I thought, hang on, you've so much to report on here. You've so much to speak about in that match. Why would you focus on what I think to anybody who ever attends Scottish football matches um, seemed like fairly run-of-the-mill in terms of arrests? You know, it was a Rangers-Hibs match. I've seen serious crowd unrest at Rangers-Hibs matches over the years. Now, I'm not trying to excuse what happened, but it, for the sports department to lead with that story, lead with that, uh, that angle in the story, was I found very surprising and annoying because there were stories there. Um, it wasn't a turgid nothing each draw. You know, there was a lot to talk about. So I can understand why the club and I can understand why report why the support were annoyed with that. I was annoyed about it. It was a very, very strange angle to take. Um, and, it, and it did feel petty and it did feel like somebody, whether it's McLaughlin or whether it was his producer, I don't know. But it did feel like somebody somewhere um, wasn't happy about what happened in that match. And... and, and took a different angle. So I can understand why the club were annoyed, um, but ultimately I still think it's their own decision. Uh, I think there are ways of addressing that and I, um, I felt at the time and I feel now that if we have Jim Trainer in place at Ibrox, he knows Chris McLaughlin. You know, he, they worked together for years at the BBC. He must know all of the people in there. And it just felt a little bit like, I'll show you. I'll show you who's boss now. Uh, and and that, that disappoints me. Overall, but I can understand why fans felt it was the right thing to do, and I think that's one of the issues here. Is I think it's a bit popular with some of the support. Well, certainly speaking as a supporter, John, I, I mean, going by the timeline, you know, Chris McLaughlin's name did come up an awful lot, and I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. That particular day, as you say, Rangers had, had, had sort of played some pretty poor football under McCoy to McCall. You know, the previous season we, we hadn't really done anything in that division, they'd failed to get out of it, and everything that season, Hibs were in the same division that year as well, so it was all about, it was going to be either us or them really getting out of that division, 
and for the, the performance that Rangers put in that day was, was was really really good, a really strong performance and a, and a big statement. You know, on the day of the season, saying we're going to win this division, and we're going to win it playing some pretty entertaining football. It did feel really petty, in my opinion, that that that's where the BBC went with it. And I understand what you're saying. I, I really do in terms of censoring the media and banning them. I, I, there are times I'm not overly comfortable with it myself, but I sometimes think that sometimes clubs need to take a stand. And I just wonder, because it was Chris McLaughlin again, if they just thought, enough's enough, I don't know. But I certainly understand your, your, your frustration on this because it can't be benefiting the BBC and Rangers. It's, there's no way it, that, that both parties will be benefiting from this. No way. Alistair, uh, coming back to yourself, you know, I, I read out the BBC statement earlier on and it stated that that they stand by the integrity and the quality of their journalism. Did do you see much of that in the BBC's covering of, of Rangers? Because again, speaking as a supporter, I, I, I can't I can't honestly say that I see that. Um, I think I think in a sense that there probably wasn't much else they could say in, in the circumstances. Um, if you look at it from the BBC's perspective, they've got a senior journalist banned by Rangers. Um, Rangers have called into question his professional integrity. And I think I think it's actually probably important here to kind of try and distinguish between the likes of Chris McLaughlin and say, you know, some kind of pundits, you know, your Michael Stewart's and stuff like that. I think Chris McLaughlin probably kind of operates or he should be operating according to different rules. You know, Michael Stewart's and your Billy Dodds and your Stephen Thompson's are there to kind of give opinions, whereas Chris McLaughlin and other reporters should be giving it kind of more straight down the line. Um, so, as I say, I, I don't think the, uh, I don't know that the BBC had that many options. Um, you know, I, I know the Rangers statement at the time kind of talk, spoken spoke about them choosing to to kind of boycott Ibrox and um, kind of spoken about it in terms of a, a ban, but really uh, that's kind of presenting the issue in kind of black and white terms. And I think, you know, it's neither a ban nor boycott. I think, you know, Rangers felt that they had to take the action that they did. And the BBC were then, they possibly felt backed into a corner, unfortunately. And I think that with a little bit of foresight, I think probably the club should have anticipated that and they should have kind of thought about how they were then going to going to counteract that move or kind of try and, try and nullify it. And as I said in my, my kind of previous comments, I don't think there was really any kind of long-term plan in it. it felt like a little bit of a kind of knee-jerk, knee-jerk reaction without any... Um, without any real foresight. Um, integrity, professional, you know, we're kind of talking in slightly kind of vague, hard to measure terms here. I think there's undoubtedly um, kind of, you know, comments, uh, tweets, whatever you, you, you could kind of pull out and say, hang on a second, you know, Rangers are not getting a fair crack of the whip here. Um, but whether you can kind of extrapolate from that and kind of identify any sort of pattern or behaviour or people pulling the strings behind the scenes or God help us, some sort of conspiracy, and I think we should be very careful about talking in those terms. Um, I don't know. I think I think we just have to be careful about how we're kind of uh, framing our arguments. Well, I mean, I mean stuff like, I mean, all last week after the, the Celtic game, I mean, the BBC seemed to be in a campaign, as far as I could see, to get some sort of action taken against Alan McGregor. And there was one really odd one after the Kovalik game a couple of weeks ago when uh, Alfredo Morelos had his, his goal that never was... I won't even say it was it was chalked off. It was never given, but it was about a yard over the line, as we all know. Camera angles have proved that. You didn't need that. It was obvious at the time. But the BBC, I'm sure it was on Twitter, they, they, they tweeted a, a sort of photo saying, was this over the line? Was it not over the line? But the photo was before the ball crossed the line. 
you know, and it's just again, it's just stuff like that that make you think there are just little. Yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. I remember seeing that that Morelos picture, um, and and I saw the, the thing about um, McGregor as well, and you know, the compliance officer. I won't have a a wee look at that, and you know, I think they are probably things that could uh, could be legitimately questioned. I think though, we kind of have to try and take a step back and not respond to it so emotionally and try and say okay fair enough but how is how is this current approach actually going to help us do we actually think that being in this kind of adversarial situation with the bbc is in any way going to improve their coverage of us i don't i don't think so i don't see how those are you know, two situations are joining up at all really john uh, to me it seems like the, the, i mean i don't want to go down i think alistair's correct and sort of saying we need to avoid you know talking in terms of conspiracies and stuff like that but it does feel like there's a bit of mischief making uh, at play here. Is that how it feels to you? And, and and if so, who do you think the main protagonists are in the BBC? I think Alistair said an interesting thing about the difference between someone like Chris McLaughlin or Tom English and Billy Dodds or Stephen Thompson. And I think as, as, as punters, as people like us who are supporters, who are, who are listening and reading and watching the BBC, we, I think, then look at these people that we, the voices we hear, and we assume that these are the people who make the decisions. And, and these are not the people who make the decisions. You know, the presenter has a say in what goes on. The reporter clearly has a fair bit of say in what they report. But ultimately, there are other people making these decisions. And these are usually people that, that we don't know. We don't know their names. We don't know who they are. Um, so... I have always assumed that at executive level or at producer level, um, researcher level, there are people in there who are fairly comfortable with the, the direction that BBC Sport Scotland take. Um, there is a, you know, I think you have to be realistic. In Scotland, there are only, what, 32, 48 professional teams. And if we're being real about it, there are two most people are interested in hearing about. And then there's another half dozen where um, if they've got something fairly big, it will be reported. And, and there's clearly an imbalance uh, at, at BBC Scotland in the sports department in terms of the background and, and, and obvious allegiances, even if it was allegiances in, in the past. And I appreciate it's difficult for people who work there um, in that department to, to be you know, outright about who they support or who they support as a child. But you do look at it and you think, well, you know, how did they find that many Aberdeen supporters who work in radio? I mean, it's astonishing. I mean, they're completely out of kilter. Um, so you do look at this and you think, well, okay, I don't, I don't quite see how, you know, where's the, where's the balance? Where, does the, where are the guys from the west of Scotland? Because I'm, I'm not hearing their voices too much. So they bring in your Billy Dodds and, and, and your Stephen Thompsons and and Chris Boyd gets on uh, fairly regularly these days as well. Um, but they're not the reporters. You know, they're just the guys that come in supposed to give you a bit of kind of inside knowledge of how football works. So, yeah, I think there is deliberate mischief making at play. But I think Alistair said uh, an interesting thing there. And I think this is part of the problem. Um, when Alistair said you, you need to not get emotional about it. And the problem with football in the West of Scotland and, and Scotland in general is it is emotional. I mean, it, it, our reactions are emotional. You know, that we, it's the one area of our life, I suppose, where, where we are allowed to be emotional. You know, the whole point of football is emotional. So a reaction to what goes on is, is, is not right. You know, in the scheme of things, I'm a big fan of the BBC. You know, I think the BBC as an institution is, is hugely important to life. 
Uh, I think it is enhance, enhances life. And, and, and I hear criticism of it, and I, I read a lot of criticism from Rangers supporters about it. And I think you have to, to drill that down. You have the BBC as an entity, and then you have BBC Scotland as an entity, and then you have BBC Sport Scotland. And I don't think BBC Sport is particularly important to the BBC as a whole. And I think BBC Scotland's sports department is even less even less important. And I genuinely think that at a high level, they don't really care about this. This, this, this is, this is a, a minor skirmish out in the provinces. I don't think they care. I don't think there's any high-level conspiracy against Rangers. I think this is at a fairly low level, at a fairly local level. Um, and as I said, I think it is something that they all, each party knows the other one. And uh, I think there is mischief making going on. And, and it's a shame and I'd like to see it get, get stopped. And I think there's a little bit of mischief making from Rangers as well. I think Rangers, I think to some extent, at times this suits Rangers. Um, I think it keeps a, a fairly vocal percentage of the online supporters base on side. I think they are quite happy for it. You, you read it, and I don't know if you, you must have seen this call on for folks. You, know, you see Rangers supporters saying Rangers have banned the BBC. No, they've not. You know, they've taken away credentials from one journalist. They've not banned the BBC. BBC have banned themselves. But some Rangers supporters are actually quite happy to think that Rangers have banned the BBC. So I think there is mischief on both sides, but I do think the mischief largely is coming from some sort of behind-the-scenes level in, in BBC Sports Scotland. Can I just come in there, just uh, some of the things you were saying towards the end? Um, I think you're right that we we kind of maybe get a bit bogged down, kind of focusing on BBC Sports Scotland. Um, and this this goes back as well to the point I was making originally about being in a kind of, basically a, a, a bit of a PR war now and, you know, thinking about who, who it is that we're kind of trying to influence, because that's what we need to do. If we're, if we're hoping for some sort of outcome in our favour, we need to influence people um, in our favour. Um, and I think, you know, the kind of, you know, the average person who's not kind of obsessively following Scottish football, you know, they're not going to be caring about what Richard Gordon's been saying or what Tom English has been tweeting or whatever. They're going to see in headline terms and they're going to see Rangers Football Club in dispute with the BBC and all the kind of connotations that come with the wider BBC. Um, and, you know, if, if we're kind of thinking about this this action, this banner of... Uh, Chris McLaughlin is something that was done to kind of try and improve the, the club's image. Um, my concern is that, you know, for the, the kind of uh, the average person on this, this street, they're going to see it as Rangers against the BBC. And, you know, in kind of reputation terms, I, I just don't think we're going to win that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I sort of take a lot of both your points there in terms of the mischief making and all the rest of it. Uh, I, I need to highlight, I've, I've been, I've been, it's been pointed out to me that something that I mentioned earlier on was incorrect. So for the sake of integrity and the professionalism of our journalism, I should point out that it was not uh, Chris McLaughlin's match report. He'd done a separate report for that, that 6-2 game. It was Richard Wilson that, that, that done the match report for that particular game. Chris McLaughlin done a separate report altogether. So, you know, integrity and professionalism does work sometimes. But yeah, I hear, I, I, I hear a lot of what you're saying. Uh, Alistair, in, in Rangers' statement at the time, uh, they said that the, the course of action cho chosen by the BBC denies licensed players the opportunity to see and hear from Rangers on a publicly funded platform, which is supposed to be for everyone. 
Rangers fans are entitled to ask if this is an abuse of the BBC's privileged position. Is this an abuse of their position? I mean, I'm a taxpayer. I pay for my TV licence and all the rest of it. Surely I'm entitled to fair reporting on a, a Scottish football club that I support. Um, I, t- I took that to mean kind of a fair fairness or whatever in terms of you know more, more general general coverage. Um, I don't know. As I said, I think I think the only people who are kind of suffering unduly are probably Rangers fans. Um, you know, the remaining few who we kind of use the, the BBC as their, their main means of hearing about the club. I think fans. Yeah, are, but- I, I, they might not be. I mean, a, a huge amount of us might not be listening or, or viewing it, uh, but we're paying for it. If you know what I mean. So. Surely, if, 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 if it's a publicly funded organisation, which the BBC is, surely they should have the highest levels of integrity and professionalism on this issue. Uh, they should do, but then I think I think we've already covered this. I think that they probably, you know, if you try and look at it from the BBC's perspective, I think they probably took the only course of action they felt was open to them after after uh, with, withdrew McLaughlin's privileges. Um, I mean, it would be kind of untenable for them for them to do otherwise, I think, um, you know, you've got, a, as I said, an, an external organisation kind of questioning the professional integrity of one of your employees and, you know, as an employer, what are you going to do? Um, so, as I say, I think they, they probably felt backed into a corner, but I think we've um, we've probably kind of covered that. I don't know if John wants to come in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of tend to agree with you, but the only thing I, w- I would say is that Alex Ferguson, when he was the Manchester United manager, he, he refused to be interviewed or speak with Alan Green, who was the, the one of the kind of main presenters and commentators on, on Five Live. The BBC didn't ban Man United, didn't, or didn't stop going to cover Manchester United games. And and when Panorama did, they did a kind of programme about agents and agents involved with uh, transfers and um, Ferguson's son uh, um, and Sam Allardyce and Harry Redknapp were featured in the programme and the programme did not portray them in a particularly good light um, and Ferguson then refused to speak to anyone from the BBC. Um, if you recall it used to be his assistant managers that would get interviewed on, on Match of the Day, if you ever watched Match of the Day at the time, it was always his assistant managers that would do the kind of post-match interview. But the point is there was a post-match interview. You know, the, the BBC reacted differently to Allardyce and to Ferguson in particular than they did to Rangers. So, but John, John, that sounds to me though, that that was a kind of personal decision on Ferguson's part. That's how I always understood it. It doesn't sound like that was a decision taken by, you know, Manchester United, the club. I, I would agree. I, I think it was entirely a personal decision by Ferguson, um, and 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 perhaps that is the difference between the two. Um, but it's still, I thought it was interesting that he could decide, particularly with Alan Green, that I, I'm not going to be interviewed by that person, and the BBC were fairly happy to send somebody else along. Um, but I take the point, it is, it's not exactly the same. I, I, I think Arthur does make a, a valid point there, but I also think that there are reasonable comparisons and the reaction from the BBC on this occasion has been slightly different. As, as you've pointed out, John, the, the BBC did continue to go to match of the day. I, I do remember watching match of the day at that time, and as you say, it was always uh, whoever his assistant was at that particular time. Was there not something around the Rock of Gibraltar as well, the horse that Ferguson was involved in? I'm sure all that was covered by the BBC at one point as well, and Ferguson just absolutely would not deal with him on any level. Now, he's he's the most powerful. I mean, I, mean, I know Alistair's saying that that's Ferguson's choice, 
that he was the most powerful man in the club at the time. And Ferguson said something that that, that effectively was Manchester United's position. So although there's slight differences, I think they're fair comparisons. And I think it's, it's fair to point out the reaction of the BBC uh, on, on both occasions and, and how they reacted differently to it. Try and wrap this one up now, guys. Uh, I'll, I'll give the same question to both of you. Is there any chance of this being sorted anytime soon? Um, yeah, I think there is, actually. Um, I'm, I'm strangely more hopeful about it. Um, there was a, a, a tweet that I might be reading too much into from Dan, Dan Walker, I think his name is, um, kind of football focus presenter. Um, and he made a, a, a he did a tweet maybe in the last two or three weeks um, being questioned about why uh, there wasn't more coverage of what Gerard was doing at, at Rangers, and he explained that there was a, a dispute between Rangers and uh, the BBC locally that he hoped would be resolved soon. Now, as I said, I might be reading more into the last line of his tweet than, than he meant. Um, but I actually do think that um, two things. I think the fact that, that Rangers are now in Europe um, and, and will be in Europe until Christmas uh, gives the BBC a problem. I think, you know, the coverage of, of the qualifying games was, was daft. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, and, and I think it looks petty now for the BBC. I think the, the, the BBC Scotland, it just looks daft. And I also think the fact that Gerard has such a high profile in England and that there is interest in what he's doing I think you will start to see a little more, not so much pressure, but I think you'll certainly see journalists based south of the border who work for the BBC saying, well, we'd really quite like to speak to Gerard. We'd quite like to interview him. We'd quite like to, um, you know, take, get his take on football. Um, and I, I, so I could see that being the catalyst for it to be sorted. Um, I think for it to be sorted, Rangers need an out. I think Rangers can't lose face over this and so I don't see them being the ones who will attempt to sort it unfortunately um, because I think as you've both said the, the big losers in this are the range of support um, you know we're the ones that simply aren't getting the coverage that, that we should get you know we, we should get the same coverage as every other club and we're not just now and, and that's not fair uh, that's not fair on, on, on the range of support so yes I, I'm more hopeful than I've been um, that something can be sorted because I think there is now um, things have changed uh, but, as I said, maybe I'm reading more into something than I should. And it won't be the first time. <laughs> Alistair, what about yourself? Can you see this being sorted? Is, I mean, I think Gerard was a big game changer. And obviously, as John's point, pointed out, the Europa League uh, campaign going on until Christmas. Does that give leverage and, and and maybe a way out of this thing? Yeah, I think I think I agree with a lot of what John was saying there. Um, I think the, the Gerard factor could be could be crucial. Um, what the eventual kind of outcome resolution looks like, um, I suspect there's not going to be any kind of clear winners or losers. I suspect it'll be some sort of fudge. It might even just be kind of quietly dropped by all parties and, uh, you know, lo and behold, we'll see kind of Stephen Gerrard on sports scene or something on a Sunday Sunday evening. But, um, yeah, I don't think there'll be a kind of clear, you, you guys lost, you guys won. I don't think anyone's going to kind of be walking away with our, their hands raised, unfortunately, and we'll be kind of wondering, well, what was all that about? You know what my solution is to it? Get Archie McPherson back to the BBC. Right, moving on to the next topic of the evening. Moving out to the, the, the good citizens of the Jersnet forums and ask them for any questions that we want to put to the guys tonight. So we'll get right in about it. Some interesting things 
have came up. There was ones obviously I couldn't I couldn't select, but I've, I've picked. Well, I hope are the best ones anyway. Uh, the first one I'll I'll, I'll come uh, I'll come to John first on this one, and it's it's the last thing we'll talk about the BBC tonight. All the other questions are unrelated. Uh, we sort of touched on it slightly towards the end of the last discussion. So the first question from the forum is. Should Stephen Gerrard mention the BBC's lack of unfair, uh, sorry, lack of unfair coverage publicly? Um, I don't see what Gerrard's got to gain by mentioning it, um, but I do think the club should be, be mentioning it. I think I don't think there's any harm in the club saying that you know we are happy for the BBC to come here and explain their their position on it. Um, I'd be reluctant to use Gerrard um, too much. You know, I think the club just have to wait for the BBC to come to them on this, um, because uh, you know, in the end, Gerard is in demand, and as long as his his staff keeps rising uh, managerially, I think he will just be in more demand. Um, so I I don't have a problem with that. Um, Gerard hasn't well, he's impressed me, and I think he's probably impressed all of us. But the the one area that he's really impressed me on, um, which I did not expect, uh, was his communication. You know, he speaks very, very well. He, when you, oddly enough, because the BBC ban, you now find yourself watching the, the, the press conferences. You know, that you can watch the press conferences back now. Um, and he clearly knows how to deal with journalists. You know, he clearly knows his way around that. And, and it's, he's been very, very impressive there. So, um, I think if Gerard wants to and thinks there's a reason to do it, I think he'll just do it. Uh, I'm not sure he needs to, and I'm not sure I'm, I'm particularly keen for him to do it. I think he's probably got bigger things to worry about just now. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I, I, I don't, th- I don't think there would be any harm in him skimming on the subject and then just walking away from it. You know, I don't think there'd be any harm in that. But I wouldn't want him to get bogged down in it, as, as you've pointed out, John. He's got far bigger things uh, on his plate to, to, to sort of deal with. So no, I wouldn't want him getting too involved in it, but. You know, I, I think given the, the sort of the, the, how big of a sort of name that he is, uh, and as you say, he carries himself well when when dealing with the media. I, I, I don't think there would be anything wrong with him even asking why this is going on. You know, just to sort of question, you know, why this sort of disputes happening. Anything, but not for a prolonged basis. He's got bigger things to to worry about, in my opinion. Alistair, coming to you, uh, one of the questions, which I think is an interesting one that that came up in the the, the forums, it's talking about last week's game at Celtic Park. Obviously, there was only 800 Rangers fans there, but it came on the back of Rangers' decision to cut their allocation. So the question is, were Rangers correct to cut Celtic's allocation at Ibrox? Uh, That's a tricky one. Um, My gut instinct is yes. Um, I think I think we all know the justification for it. You know, great season ticket sales, big boost with uh, with Gerard coming in. Um, you know, huge pickup relative to where we were at the end of last season. And, and you know, if, if Rangers fans want to buy season tickets in huge numbers, then you know, go for it. And um, I think the other clubs will just have to deal with the consequences. I mean, that's not to say it's not a wee bit of a pity come kind of old firm, uh, old firm games because you know it's going to totally change the dynamic of the matches at Ibrox and, and Celtic Park. But um, I think uh, hopefully we'll see the benefit of uh, huge Ranger support at uh, Ibrox uh, at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I, I would. I, I actually think 
this whole the, the stance that Celtic have taken on the whole there's no old firm thing and that's not just the supporters that comes from the club as well if you have a flick through the Celtic view that came out on Wednesday there it's Glasgow Derby this Glasgow Derby that a refusal even to I mean the the, the, the guy that the teams at Celtic Park wouldn't even name us you know it was the visitors today and he refused to mention the, the Rangers players by their first names. It was some names only. It's most most common denominator stuff. They know who that yeah, is. And and though I, I genuinely think that I don't think it was the whole reason, but I think the feeling and part of what drove this decision by Rangers was the that there's no old firm. So they're like, well, if there's no old firm, don't expect to be treated differently from other clubs. We give other clubs. 800 tickets, you'll get 800 tickets. I do find it sad, I must admit, because it, it does change the atmosphere, it does change the dynamic, but I do think that's been a, a sort of major driving force behind it. And in that respect, Rangers are right. You know, if you're getting snipes and comments coming from over the fence about you as a as a club and that, that we don't have a special, you know, fixture between the two of us, if you're talking down the sort of the stature of that fixture, then don't expect to get 7,000 tickets for it because it's just, you know, if we're a six-year-old club, why do you want to come and see us? So I think that was a driving a, a driving factor behind it. I think it was two fingers to the, the sort of narrative that Celtic were, were, were sort of coming out with at the time. John, coming back to you for the next question. Uh, if, if you could click your fingers and improve one aspect of the club off the field, what would it be? Oh, that's a horrible question. I, do, I think. You know, I think if we're, if we're being serious, I, I still have concerns over the financial situation at the club. Uh, it's it's a lot better than it was. And clearly, the people who are in the club, I think have got the best interests of the club at heart. Um, but I do think that things financially still aren't where you'd like them to be So um, and where they, where they should be. So I think if I could click my fingers, uh, I, I would do that. You know, I think... I hate to say this, but if you look at our boardroom and you look at the boardroom across the city, they've got a stronger boardroom than us. You know, the, 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 the quality of some of the people in their boardroom um, is, is definitely, I think, stronger. So um, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, some improvements there. But I also think you have to accept where we've been. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm be careful to, to say this because I don't want it to sound like outright criticism because it's not meant. But I still think there's a bit to go there. Um, so that's the serious answer. Um, just on that last point, very quickly, if, I, if you don't mind me cutting back to that, the, uh, I th I, one of the sad things about the, the change in, in allocation is I always kind of felt it was a kind of rite of passage for um, the young Rangers supporters going to Parkhead for the first time. Um, you know, to be so seriously outnumbered uh, at a ground it was unusual for a, a Rangers supporter uh, going to away grounds. Um, so uh, maybe if I can click my fingers, it would be that everybody gets one of those 800 tickets at some point, because uh, I think that's going to become very, very difficult. You know, the, the truth is, most of us are never going to get a ticket for that match now, um, which is a shame, because it is an experience um, to, to go to Parkhead when we're playing, because uh, it's it's kind of the only ground where you go in and, and you are just so outnumbered. Um, so it makes it even nicer when we win. Yeah, I would. I would agree with the, the right of passage stuff, John. I, I, I mean, I, I first went to Celtic Park uh, to follow Rangers back in the sort of nineties when Celtic Park was still, you know, all terraced. 
And it was 20,000 years behind that goal. And I know saying we were seriously outnumbered, you know, 40,000 Celtic fans and 20,000 Rangers fans. But to be in, a, in an away support with 20,000 thousand fans behind that goal, it felt like an invasion. You know, you really, it, it, even though you were outnumbered, you didn't feel it. You know what I mean? Because there were so many years behind that goal. And you're right, at, at, at 800 now, it's, it's not going to be the same. There's going to be lots of people that never get the opportunity to go, my son, you know, I mean, we've, we've got season tickets at Ibrox. The chances of him getting a ticket for Celtic Park now for an old firm game are very, very slim. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very valid point that you made. Alistair, uh, I, was, I was going to ask you about uh, about perceived boardroom failures and, you know, do we need stronger people in the boardroom? But I think maybe John's already covered that. So I'll move on to the next question that came up. Uh, and, you know, given that you've, you've, you've got political interests and all the rest of it, it's maybe one that you might enjoy. You know, given the, the, the situation with uh, Glasgow City Council, the you know, the fan zone issue that's rumbling on. One of, one, of the, one of the punters on the forums has asked, is there an anti-Rangers sentiment running through the SNP? Uh, so would you agree with that? Uh, I suspect the SNP as a party have got a lot more things to be worrying about. Uh, independence, the health service, education and Rangers Football Club. Um, are there certain high-profile SNP politicians who... Are quite open about their support for their teams. Yes, I think you could probably make that point. Um, is there a possibility that certain uh, elected officials have maybe maybe been acting on their politic, uh, their, their football allegiances? Uh, possibly that again. I think we should be uh, careful about what we're saying. Um, I think it's noticeable that um, one, a lot of Scottish politicians don't seem that interested in football. Um, I think that's become quite clear over the past. Uh, Know, 10 years or so, I think, uh, they seem kind of slightly deta- uh, detached from the common man's game. Um, I think there's, second point, I think there's, uh, it's kind of obvious that there's not that many politicians, if they are Rangers fans, who are kind of willing to stick their head above the parapet and say as much. Um, there's a couple of Conservative MSPs, um, Mordo Fraser and Adam Tompkins, who obviously got involved on the club's behalf over the kind of re- recent dispute with the fan zone. Um, there's been kind of Labour MPs in the past who've been uh, been kind of fairly open about their support for the club. But um, I think, unfortunately, and again, you know, not to kind of keep banging the same drum, but it kind of all goes back into this kind of PR issue and how the how the club's viewed. Um, I think maybe that's kind of keeps a lid on it for some folk, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, as I said at the start, I don't think the SNP at the kind of highest levels are spending a lot of time talking about talking about Rangers Football Club. Yeah, I think you made some valid points there, Alistair. I would agree. I mean, John spoke earlier about if he could click his fingers, what issues would he, would, would he fix? I think PR is a big one for me. I, I, I think this is an issue that the club has got wrong for so many years. I mean, even going back to when you know, David Murray was there, and I think over the last twenty years we have been really poor on the on the PR front. I think there's a lot of positive things that, that I mean, the, the club's history and all you know, everything about Rangers. You know, it's even you walk in that front door, got the marble stairs and into the trophy room and stuff like that, and you see all the sort of history and tradition that surrounds the club. How no one can put a positive PR spin in that. Defies logic as far as I'm concerned. How we kind of get out the bit on this 
is so frustrating. Yeah, and that's one of the things I would change. And I think I think you're right. It, you know, there are I wouldn't even just say it's politicians. There are a lot of public figures in general that are sort of don't want to be open about their support of Rangers. And I think it, I think it by and large ties in with the the sort of poor PR. I think any time we're getting hammered by the press, we just don't deal with it well at all. I'll stick this one out to the, to the both of you. Uh, obviously, there's been some you know positives on the park under Gerard. The most obvious one being getting to the group stages of the Europa League. In typical Rangers fashion, we've turned a positive into a negative. You know, the, the, the club sent out the emails to season ticket holders informing them about the pricing structure and when the money was taken out, and it caused a bit of a you know, a bit of a stushy on, on social media and stuff like that. So a lot of supporters upset uh, and disappointed in, in how the club had handled it. Now, for, for, for my tickets, it's it's £35 a game. So over the, over the three games, that takes it to £105. I thought that was slightly steep, I must admit. And I, I think that the club could have got it under three figures if they really wanted to. And that would have been a positive PR. Uh, and to, to sort of announce it three, four days before taking the money out, I th- again, I thought that was pretty poor. So, John, I'll come to you first. Did, did the club make a hash of this? Did they get it right? Did they get it wrong? I think they got the point of taking them when they took the money wrong. You know, I think they took it very quickly. Um, and I think that was unfair on a lot of supporters. Um, August was an expensive month for the new supporters. There was a lot of games. Um, and what with, if you wanted to follow the club, having to buy Rangers TV and, and things as well, you know, it was an expensive month. And I think taking that money at that point, um, what felt like two or three days after finding out what it was going to cost, um, was I think unfair in a lot of the supporters. And I think maybe, yeah, I think that could have been handled correctly. It's £105 for three games, a lot of money. Yeah, it is. But unfortunately, I think that's what they, the club think they can charge for European football. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think it could have been handled better. I don't think it's the end of the world. I can understand why a number of people were a bit upset, particularly when the money gets taken out of your account and um, people perhaps weren't expecting that. You know, they hadn't budgeted for that. Um, that all seemed to happen a little quickly. Uh, and I don't think it needed to happen quite as quickly as it did. Uh, that did feel a little opportunistic. But on the whole, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting you said yourself you could have kept it under three figures. Keeping it under three figures is six pounds less. Um, that, in the scheme of things, is not a huge amount of money. Um, but I suppose if you multiply six pounds by fifty thousand, then 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 it is a fair amount of money. Um, so I suppose from the club's point of view, they're trying to get as much as they can. Um, I don't know. I find it hard to criticise the club for it, other than to say, you know, I think they should have given people more of a chance to say, you know, what I'm going to sit this one out. Um, it did kind of feel like they, they just kind of took the money. Well, I mean, I know the club announced that they were then going to change their wee bit and they gave supporters a few more extra days. But that's all it was, you know, and most people get paid monthly. Yeah. So it didn't make any difference, you know. It's, essentially, it's coming out the same the same pay packet. I, did, I, can't, I can't remember the, the, the supporters club uh, that, that done this, but uh, I, I saw a tweet by a supporters club offering its members, if, if they were struggling to pay for the tickets, to let them know and that they would cover them until... Payday, which I thought was a, a, a really, that was a tremendous sort of gesture from a supporters club to do to its members. I yeah, that's pretty impressive, impressive, isn't it? Yeah, I was really impressed with that. I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I, I think £30 a game would have, would have 
would have done it. I thought that would have been a fair enough pricing policy for a Europa League. Uh, that would have kept it under, you know, the the sort of the three figure mark. But you know, I just think they've got this wrong. What about yourself, Alistair? Do you think the club have have made a hash of this? Yeah, my my feeling was that it was more the the timing. Uh, same with you guys. It was more of a kind of timing issue that was uh, causing the angst. But you know, that 105 when you're breaking that kind of 100 pound mark is almost like a psychological thing. And as John was saying, August was obviously a very expensive month. And you know, it's that time of year where people are already kind of looking ahead to to Christmas with a sense of dread. You know, got to play Santa Claus to X number of children or whatever. <coughs> um, I think the first mention of Christmas on the on the. That. <laughs> well, I have to say, I've already told my son that this is party's Christmas, has he? You're not getting that for nothing. That's coming. That's coming somewhere else. So it's party's Christmas. So I think. I think even ninety nine. You know, it's if it'd been ninety nine pounds and you know, just under that hundred pounds. Um, I think that would have been people would have been kind of happier to, to swallow that. Um. And it was a bit, it was a wee bit of a shame, you know. They, they, it was this kind of fantastic moment for the club, and then it seemed to be the, the shine was taken of it, you know, slightly. I'm not going to kind of overreg that, um, but it was, a, it was a wee bit disappointing. And I think, I think from the club's perspective, you know, you know, they know, they know that these games are going to be sold out. You know, they could put whatever kind of price they want on it. Um, so it felt like a, it felt like a wee bit of a kind of a, a cheap, cheap move. I'm going to slightly disagree with you, Alistair. I, I, I think pricing. Uh, does come in yeah, I, I, I think the price that they've put on these tickets might actually have an impact on the on the attendance not hugely but oh no I, never... I think they'll be sold out no, no danger though they'll be absolutely sold out oh well, well time will tell I remember I remember going to see Rangers against Ajax uh, and I think it was 96 in the Champions League and Ajax were 18 months away they'd, they'd won the Champions League in 95 I think so they'd won it like the the year before or 18 months before it. Great side, the De Boers and all that, that side. The Rangers went way over the top with the pricing and there was, you know, there was about 30,000 there. You know, there, there was a good 10, 15,000 short of what should have been there. And it, it all came down to pricing. You know, they just overpriced the game. Whereas, I, I remember Dick Avocat's sort of run 99-2000 I was a season ticket holder at the time in the Copeland Rear, and you got the three match package for 50 quid, which broke down to £16, 66 pence per ticket. And the place was heaving. And I, I just sometimes wonder if, you know, surely you would want the place rammed and selling more programmes, pies, you know, and, and all that comes with it than, than overpricing the game and ending up with 10, 15,000 folk less. I think that's a really valid point. And I think you saw that in action on Friday night with the Scotland-Belgium game. Well, they, they just get the pricing all wrong. Yes. And you'll see, you'll see it tomorrow as well, by the way. But, you know, I think with the, the Albania game, Albania are no draw, let's be honest. You know, none of us grew, none of us sat to the World Cup in the summer thinking, I can't wait to see Albania at Hamden. But Belgium are the third best team in the world. You know, that's the kind of game I might have taken my sons to because... You know, all right, I wasn't expecting Scotland to win, but you get a chance to see some of the best football players in the world at Hamden. But not at that price, I'm not. And you end up with a crowd of 20,000 instead of the place sold out. A, a good atmosphere, an introduction to the gate to, to, to football for, for, for young players, uh, for young fans rather. And, um, and, you know, I thought that was an opportunity missed. And I think you did right. And I think you're better getting the place filled um, and, and makes like the less than have 40,000 there. and 
10,000 empty seats. I think, Colin, just to go back to what you were saying, uh, you brought up the kind of Ajax game in the mid-90s, the circumstances are totally different. Come on. I mean, uh, I don't think anyone, any Rangers fan who was really kind of expecting us to get to the Europa League groups this season, uh, you know, if they tell you that, they're probably a liar. <laughs> it's such a fantastic, fantastic lift for the club. Um, I remember, you know, that second leg in, uh, in Russia, I, was, I ended up kind of following the end of it on the, the train home and I was like, you know, when we actually got the result, I was saying to myself, "Right, come on, you're not you're not kind of greeting on the the four forty five train to Glasgow Queen Street here. Hold it together. It was just phenomenal." <laughs> I think the circumstances alone. Well, I could tell you that I, I was greeting Alistair when I got my invite through, telling me how much the tickets were. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think possibly there is a kind of element of taking the fans for granted, which you don't like to see. But um, I think I think the place will be absolutely packed. I certainly hope it will be. I, th- I think it will be for the first games I do I, I do think TV has an impact on these things and if fans have a, a cheaper option and I'm assuming you know BT Sport cover the the Europa League so all the games will be covered so you know I, I just fear that I, I don't think Ibrox will be empty I don't think it'll be like Hamden was on Friday against Belgium I'm not suggesting that what I'm suggesting might happen is it won't be full it won't be you know a capacity crowd because as you've pointed out Christmas is on the horizon I think a lot of fans didn't budget for it. You know, I think a lot of fans, like you pointed out, didn't think we would make the group stages. So a lot of people have not budget. I didn't budget for it. Put it that way. So uh, I, I just think I just think there was an opportunity to make it an absolute success, and it was a success. Getting to the group stages is absolutely fantastic. But it's just that wee feeling that it's been slightly. I don't want to say damaged, but. The shine's slightly so yeah, yeah. the shine's been taken off at a wee bit with this with this sort of ticket. I don't want to call it a controversy, but fans do feel a bit oh, well, you know, thirty-five pound, one hundred five pound for three games a bit expensive, which was a shame because it was such a such a tremendous achievement getting there. And if you're telling me that you know you can't compare the two, Alistair, we're talking about Ajax here, a team that had just won the Champions League. You know what I mean? The fans. I'm not going to come out to see them, then there's something wrong. And what was wrong was the pricing. That was that. It was absolutely the pricing. Yeah, pricing. But I think I'm sure circumstances must have made a big part in it. You know, the kind of mid 90s, that sort of thing was almost run of the mill, really, wasn't it? And then if you think about where we've been the last uh, five, six years, you know, I think it would be kind of fair to think, you know, are we ever going to get these big European nights back at Ibrox again? And, you know, lo and behold, here we are. And I think, uh, I think fans will, will lap it up. I think assuming we're still we've still got something to play for at the last home game, I, I expect a good crowd for that. You know, I think if we've if things haven't gone well in the, the preceding three or four games and get towards Christmas, you know, perhaps we're out or, or we don't have much to play for, it might be a different story. Um, then the price will matter. But I think if we've still got something to play for, and, and I think there's a chance we will, then um then I would still expect it to sell out or, or, or be close to full. I'm assuming no one's got a Sevco of the week. No. <laughs> no. I, I can just say there's no Sevco of the week. There. I think it was, I think it's, did you know, was it you that said it earlier about the, the, the Scotland game with the, with the Ryan Jack thing being highlighted after <laughs> the Celtic keeper throws one in the net and, and the, the John McGinn passes it, or it doesn't even pass this, miscontrols it and, and yeah. to give away the first. It did seem a little churlish, yeah, Michael, Jacks, Michael, but I don't Michael know. Michael Stewart and Stephen Thompson, I should know better. It should know yeah. better. 
you know. Uh, <laughs> his second game for ever for Scotland. I know, I know, and and, and see the thing is, see when I was watching it, as they were slowly kind of excusing McGinn and uh, Craig Gordon. Yeah, I was like, ah, Ryan Jackson in the net. It's all going to lump his. It's all getting blumped on him, and that's and that kind of what to like that. They didn't. They didn't weigh in too heavy, but they, they gave him a rougher time. It's only right that you hold Rangers players to higher standards. So. Yeah, well, that's, that's a valid point. It was interesting. Oh. I, I, I watched a bit of it, and uh, there was a cut to the dugout in the first half, and Alan McGregor and Stephen Naismith sitting beside each other in deep conversation, and in front of them uh, was Jack and the guy Shinny. Deep right. conversation, and, and it was interesting to see, okay, there's, there's the old friendship's been been brought back yeah. again. Yeah. Nace clearly wondering, what have I got to do to get these signed here, guys? <laughs> <laughs> How come you'll sign Lafferty and not me? <laughs> Stevie, uh, Stevie mentioned me, Alan, is he mentioned? <laughs> That's all we've got time for this week on the Jersnet weekly podcast. No save quote of the week. Never seen anything this week. I can only assume all the Celtic Twitter at you were too busy watching Republic of Ireland this weekend. So all that remains for me to do is to thank John and Alistair for their comments. Excellent stuff from them again and a, a great debut from John. A big thanks to our audio engineer, Graham, who as always makes everything that we, we, we say sound absolutely fantastic. There'll be a show next week. There'll be the, the podcast next week. Obviously, we've got Dundee at Ibrox next week, so there'll be loads of talk about that. I don't quite know yet who is, who's on it or who's hosting. But once we find out, we'll let you know. In the meantime, get yourself on to the JERSnet website and forums at www.jersnet.co.uk. Lots of great stuff on there. Loads of great people all chatting about Rangers. So what more do you want, people? What more do you want? So that's all from us this week. Until the next time, see you again. <laughs>